The topic of our message today is surviving and overcoming in our wilderness journey. So if you have your Bibles, put your finger in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. We will study the whole chapter. And uh, later on, I will uh, compare it with Matthew 4, 1 to 11. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1, Moses said to the people, All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do. For what purpose? That you may live and multiply, go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. The final destiny of God's people is not the wilderness, but God will use the wilderness so that the people of God will be prepared as they enter the promised land, settle there, and enjoy that place. This is the traditional route of the Israelites in the wilderness. There are various suggestions, but I just like to highlight one of them, the one with the red mark is the traditional route. And as Israel traveled through the wilderness, by the way, all of them are in Egypt nowadays. The wildernesses are very prominent. In their first month, they were in the wilderness of Shur. That's the place where they had no water, and when they found water, it was bitter. So the name of the place was called Mara. In the next month, they were in the wilderness of Sin. This is the place where people were complaining about food, and the Lord supplied them with uh, manna and uh, quail. And then the third, where they stayed the longest, is called the wilderness of Sinai. So from Exodus chapter 19, the whole book of Leviticus and half of Numbers are all in wilderness of Sinai. It's in that place where God entered into a covenant with Israel. God gave Israel the Ten Commandments and many other statutes. And then after that, they went to the wilderness of Paran. And that's the place where uh, Moses sent 12 spies to look at the promised land. And they were there for 40 days looking at the area. And we know what happened. When they came back, they discouraged the people and said the people there are like giants and we appear like grasshoppers to them. So the people were disheartened and they would not want to go to the promised land. So what happened? If you look at that circle, in the wilderness of Zin, that's the place where the Israelites wandered aimlessly for the next 39 years. That was also the place where Moses was disqualified to enter the promised land. When instead of speaking to the rock, 
Moses spoke to the people, scolded them, and hit the rock twice. Now, when we speak about the wilderness, what comes to your mind? Well, for Americans, Australians, and New Zealanders, this is the concept of the wilderness. You know, the outback. This is in the USA. And then in New Zealand, in the Milford wilderness, you will find something like this. So they are beautiful. They are nice with the greeneries and the water and the mountains and the hills. But that is not the concept of wilderness in the Bible. So this is wilderness in the Bible. This is the wilderness of sure. And then the wilderness of sin. And then the wilderness of Sinai. And here, the most popular place nowadays is called the St. Catherine Monastery at the foot of Mount Sinai. And next month, I'll be climbing up Mount Sinai again. <laughs> so that's the, that's the uh, picture of the place when you are climbing up near the top. And this is the middle area. If you find that small shelter, and uh, you know you are already about one hour and a half away on the top. So this is what you see on the topmost of Mount Sinai, the Orthodox Chapel. And we usually arrive at that place around 5, 5.30. But what do you see when you're on top? This is the beautiful sight that you will see. It's beautiful. Okay? So in one of those places, Moses stayed for 40 days and 40 nights and received the Ten Commandments. This is the wilderness of Paran, where the 12 spies were sent from. And it's good that there are now drones so you can look at the whole place. What do you notice? No trees, no water, just like that. And as I said, those are all in Egypt. Israel has another wilderness. It's called the Negev. So this is already part of Israel. So again, what was consistent among them is no trees. No water. So if you are traveling for 40 days, for 40 years, in that kind of setting, what do you expect from the people? So the word wilderness is used in the Bible 281 times. And in one verse, I like to describe the wilderness. Moses wrote, the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpent and scorpions thirsty ground where there was no water. So there are three things that are outstanding about wilderness in the Bible. The first one is it is dreadful. The Hebrew word means fearful, terrible, terrifying. You don't like to be there. And why is that? Because it is a dangerous place. The only human being you can find in the wilderness were bandits. If you find many people traveling, more likely they are the merchants. But those who really stay in the wilderness were bandits and also wild beasts. 
and venomous snakes and scorpions. And what is common among all the wilderness is they were dry, meaning parched, no water. So the big question now is, why would God bring his people through that setting? Especially when there is a shorter route. Here is again the map of the Sinai Peninsula. And you will notice on top where the arrow is pointed, it is called the way of the land of Philistines. The other term used to describe that land, that route, is via mare. Via, way, mare, means the sea. So you are going through the path of the Mediterranean Sea. So why will God bring Israel down south and then farther up instead of the shortcut? You know, why will God make me stay in this company for a long time and not prosper like my other friends? Why do I have to court this lady and court her for a longer time, whereas other ladies, it just takes overnight? Well, God gave a reason why he did not lead Israel through that route. In Exodus 13, 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said, the people might change their minds when they see war and they return back to Egypt. Hence, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. The Philistines were, you know, warriors and big veteran warriors. They came from, uh, you know, the Macedonian Greek area. And Israel has not fought any single war in the last 400 years. So can you imagine them passing through that way and then they will see the Goliaths of the Philistines well-dressed, well-armed, attacking them. So they will return back. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, our text, God will give three other more important reasons why he leads his people through the wilderness. And later I will use it, those principles, to apply to ourselves. The first one is found in Deuteronomy 8 verse 2. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness. How many years? This 40 years. For what purpose? To humble you. Antagal namang matuto na magpakumbaba 40 years. Di ba pwedeng 40 days na lang? Or 4 hours? How did God make the Israelites humble? In Deuteronomy 8.3, He humbled you by letting you be hungry. So, pag tayo nagugutom, pag tayo nawawala ng pera, pag tayo walang trabaho, nahahumble tayo eh. Lalo pa, tatanungin ka ng mga tao, oh, ano ang trabaho mo ngayon? Tapos, sabi mo, eh, freelance. <laughs> Most of the time, free. 
So God humbled them to let them be hungry, but look at what God did while they were hungry. That he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Kasi when we are in trouble, when we are in need, our default mode are values. Some, their default mode will be to go back to their parents, to borrow money. Some, to steal and commit crime. Others, they will, uh, you know, cheat other people. Para-paraan lang yan eh. Yan ang dialogue. But if you belong to God's people, you don't live that way. You have learned to live by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You live by faith. You live by His instructions. In Deuteronomy 8 verse 16, Moses told them the danger if they are not humble. In the wilderness, he fed you manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, here is the problem. You may say in your heart, my power, my strength made me this wealth. So there are times that when we are successful already, when we are wealthy already, when we are famous already, we ascribe the success to ourselves. As if the success will not happen without us. No? <clears throat> Moses said, you shall remember it is the Lord God. It is He who is giving you power to make wealth. Moses knew the Israelites will become wealthy. It's just a matter of time. But when they become wealthy, they need to remember always that they become wealthy not because of their abilities and their smartness, but because it was God who gave them the power to be wealthy. <clears throat> the wilderness experience is oftentimes the antidote to pride or self-sufficiency. Because for 40 years, they did not plant, nor, nor sow seeds, nor harvest. But if Israel will continue to trust themselves and their abilities, look at the result. Curse is the man who trusts in mankind and makes his own flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Ang mga dialogue ng mga successful, I don't need anybody, I don't even need you, I am a self-made person. By my ability, strategy, and efforts, I have reached this point. Look at what God is expecting from his people. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by water, extending the roots by stream, will not fear when heat comes, but its leaves will be green 
it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. You know, if you had been used to the wilderness and God took care of you in the wilderness, you will not be scared to face many wildernesses. You know, when I first uh, applied for sabbatical, for, for uh, retirement to our leaders, one of my friends in the, among the leaders said, but pastor, what will happen to you? <laughs> I said, that will happen to me? When I started serving God, I really have nothing. Nothing, as in zero. But now God has provided already so much. I just have to remember how God has taken care of me, given me a wife, given me children, given me so many other things. And that I don't have to be scared about tomorrow. For there is a God who even controls tomorrow. But pastor, you can say that kasi wala ka ng anak eh. Ako lima pa ang anak ko. Lahat sila nag-aaral. Oo naman. Look at the last part of Jeremiah 17. Its leaves will be green. It will not be anxious in a year of drought. It will not stop to yield fruit. Because your fruitfulness, your blessings, does not depend on circumstances nor you. Paul said in Philippians 4.19, My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So either you live by your fears, either you live by the pressures coming from your bills, or you live by the word God spoke to you. So God wants to humble you so that you will place your trust in Him, not in yourself nor anybody else. Jeremiah highlighted this, and this is dedicated to those of us who will be successful. 9.23 Thus saith the Lord, this is what the Lord speaks from his mouth, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not a mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understand and knows by heart who the Lord is, that the Lord exercises wisandat, loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For those things give God delight. So those of you who will become famous, who will become rich, and who will become, you know, wise, how did you reach that status? If you do not include God in the equation, you may call yourself successful, but in the eyes of God, you are cursed. You are cursed. But if you are able to humble yourself and continue to depend on God, even if you are successful, 
then the Bible calls you blessed. Let's go to the second reason why God brought them through the wilderness. The Lord will test them. Test? Why does not the Lord know my heart? Of course he does. But do you know your heart? Do people know your heart? So in Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, continuing, that he might humble you and then testing you, the word I preach already in Quezon City, the Greek word for test and trial and temptation is just one Greek word, perazzo. That he might test you for what purpose? To know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Are you just obeying God because you have no other option? Or you are just obeying God out of lip service? Nasabi mo na eh. But pastor, if I obey God, what about my needs? What about my sufferings? Will God also know that? Will God also do something about that? Of course. Of course. Because what God is doing when he is testing you is not so much, he is not so much concerned about what's happening around you. He is very much concerned with what is happening inside you, in your heart. Kasi mahilig tayo sa forma, lalo pagka mga Pinoy. No? We want to show off. We want to prove to people. Well, you don't need to do that to God. God knows. The big question is, when you are going through tough time, what is the condition of your heart? But pastor, what about my needs? Okay, let's go to your need. Deuteronomy 8 verse 4. Anong kailangan mo? Damit? Bili ka nga ng bili ng damit eh, buwan-buwan. Sila, hindi nila kailangan bumili. Bakit? Kasi yung damit nila, hindi kumukupa, saka hindi nasisira. Oo. Oh. Eh paano kung lumalaki sila? Eh di lumalaki din yung damit nila. Oh. Your clothing did not wear out on you. Hindi siya nasira, hindi siya naluma. Ano pa? Eh paano yung sandalias nila? Nor did your foot swell this 40 years. E bibili ka nga ng bagong sapatos, nagpapaltos nga yung sapatos mo eh. Kakatagalan yung sapatos mo, nabubutas eh. Pero yung sapatos, yung kanilang, wala naman silang sapatos eh, sandals. Pero yung paan nila, hindi naman nasugatan. Thus, you are to know in your heart that the Lord God was Training you. That's the other concept of testing. Training you. Disciplining you. Just as a man disciplines his son. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness. He brought water for you. Saan galing yung water nila? Sa water station? No, out of the rock of Flint. You know, Flint is a very strong rock in the wilderness. It is the one being used by medical doctors when they operate in the operating room, the flint. In the wilderness, he fed you what? By the way, the word mana means what? 
what is this which your fathers did not know tayo we are concerned about calories and carbohydrates and cholesterol sila mana is enough it is the true version of what we call the food for the gods because they will get it in the morning and they will you know cook it and eat it and they're okay for the whole day then they get it again the next day and then they eat it again kaya lang one day sabi nila ano ba naman ito panay mana wala na bang iba buti pa doon sa Egypt may mga spices yan so God gave them what? Quail. Ganyang kakapal. Kumain sila. Ayun, naimpacho, nangamatay sila. By the way, hindi yung quail na nakamatay, yung impacho. Yung bang kumain sila, parang wala nang kinabukasan. So the Lord provided for the needs of His people in the wilderness. Can you imagine? Nobody in the wilderness died of hunger and thirst. Nobody. They died because of grumbling, complaining, but not because of hunger, thirst. What about suffering in the wilderness? You know, this is one entire sermon by itself, but I'll just speak about this fast. Can you imagine the suffering of this person who was described as blameless, upright, fearing God, turning away from evil. And you know his name, Job. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, meaning strong, robust oxen, 500 female donkeys. So, you know, this will be donkeys that will give birth. By the way, one donkey costs about half million nowadays. Half million. And Job had very many servants. And every day, they will feast. Tayo, kumag-feast tayo, dalawang beses sa linggo o once a week. But Job's children, because they were very rich, they will feast every day. Day one with the eldest, day two with the second one, day three. And every day, Job will consecrate the children, see to it that Job prayed for them, that they will not sin against God. But one fatal day, one fatal day, four things happened. The Sabians attack, Lightning from heaven came, the Chaldeans attacked, and the great wind from the wilderness came. And what happened? Job lost all his possessions in a single day. All the sheep, camels, oxen, female donkeys, all the servants, except the one who will give the news. But not only that, he lost all seven sons and three daughters with them. If that is not suffering, I don't know how to call that. If you were Job, what would you do? Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head. He fell to the ground and complained. Grumbled. No. Testing. Testing brings out the best of God's people. Instead of grumbling and complaining, they were submitting to God in worship. The word worship, by the way, in the Bible, histakade, means to submit. 
And what did he say? Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin. Nor did he blame God. He passed the test. Job still held fast to his integrity, though Satan incited the Lord against him to ruin him without a cause. My dear brethren, God does not need to explain to us why we are going through suffering because our minds are too limited. You know, many times when we are going through a tough time, we say to God, why God? Can you put the waters of the ocean in a small pail of water? But that's what we often do. We say to God, why, oh God? But here is a case where a person who follows God is suffering, but there was no cause. There was no explanation in the world. The explanation is found in the heavens because there was a quarrel between God and Satan. And Job did not know that. We know that, but not Job. So there was a round two. And it is more difficult. Why? Satan went out again because he said to God, that, that person is really terrible. Can you imagine he can lose everything as long as he's okay? You know, he is not affected. But try that he is hurt. And you see, he cursed you to the face. And God said to Satan, make my day. Only do not kill him. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and look at what Satan did. By the way, it was not God who did it. It was Satan. He smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. You know, that's, uh, that means throughout. It does not mean he has a boil here, he has a boil here. You know, that's a, a figure of speech in Hebrew. It means it, the whole body is filled with boils. E tayo, isang, isang pigsa lang. Masakit-sakit na. Eh kung buong katawan mo may pigsa. What did Job do? He took a potsherd to scrape himself. Huh? And then his wife said to him, Do you like to have a wife like this? Ano sabi ng wife? Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Siguro sabi niya, bahu-bahu mo. No? Yan ang mga dialogue niya. Pakamatay ka na lang. If you were Job, what would you do? Pinapatay ka na ng asawa mo sa salita. But Job said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. When we have time, extra time together, I will ask you the question, what do you think? Did the wife change? Or was the wife changed? Okay? But that's not part of my sermon. Was she the same wife in the end of the story? Or there was another wife? Okay. But Job's suffering went on and on. In chapter 3, 4, 5, and his friends even became tormentors for Job. But in chapter 23, look at the worst. This is the worst. 
when Job was praying, when I go forward, God is not there. When I go backward, I cannot precede him. When he acts on the left, I cannot behold him. He turns on the right, I cannot see him. But look at his declaration. I may not know, I may not see, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Why? Verse 11. My foot held fast to his path. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than, more than my necessary food. So here is a sample of a man who was not only tested, he was tempted by Satan to give up on God, to give up faith in God, but he went on obeying him, trusting him. The third reason why we go through the wilderness, Deuteronomy 8-7, for the Lord God is bringing you into a good land. Meaning, you will pass through the wilderness because God's purpose is for you to enjoy a good land. Contrary to the wilderness, it's a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees, pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. These are the main products of Israel then. Look at the next line. A land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything. A land whose stones are copper or iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper, so they have minerals. When you have eaten and satisfied, what will you do? You shall bless the Lord. Why? What's the context? Compared to the 40 years of wilderness experience, this experience is so glorious. You shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. When we go through suffering, when we go through our wilderness journey, don't fail to see the distant vision. Because if you only look at your bodies and your sicknesses and your boils and you look at the faces of people around you and you look at your bills, you look at the dwindling funds in the bank, you will tend to complain and grumble. But when you pray to God and ask him, Lord, show me a vision of what will happen after this. I know this is not the end. What will be the end of this all? Without vision, people perish. People become downhearted. People preoccupy themselves with mundane things. But with vision, 
you will go on and on and on. There is a danger why God wants to prepare us for the good land. Deuteronomy 8.11 Moses said, beware. This is the biggest danger second to pride. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, ordinances, and statutes. Otherwise, when you have eaten, when you are satisfied, when you have built good houses, when you live in them, when your herds and flocks multiply, your silver and gold multiply, all that you have multiply, then your heart becomes proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Let me contrast this with people today, okay? Even Christians. When Christians go through tough times and they overcome them by faith, by hard work, by prayer, and they succeed and become wealthy, they go to the buying spree. And they forget what they were in the past. What were you in the past? Hindi ka nga makabili ng bagong sapatos eh. No? Ngayon yung closet mo, ang dami-daming sapatos. Ang problema mo nga, anong isusuot mo eh. Maganda, maalala mo na wala kang sapatos noon. Kaya kung talaga yumayaman ka, yung yaman mo, ibibigay mo doon sa mga walang sapatos. Noon, hirap kang kumain. You are barely subsisting. Ngayon, na pwede ka nang kumain mayat maya sa Vikings, pero hindi naman pwedeng araw-araw, mahatata ka. So, yung ikakain mo na ilang araw sa Vikings, baka naman pwede mong ibigay sa iba na ni makakain, wala sila. Yan ang kahalagahan eh. When you have eaten, when you are satisfied, when you have built good houses, when you live in them, when everything you have multiplies. Ang point hindi ipangalandakan sa iba that you have a rest house here, you have a rest house there, you have a car here, you have a car there. That's not the point why God blessed you. The point is that you are aware of your you know, background. And you do something about the people who are still where you, where you were before. I have seen many Christians who, got, who have gotten rich. Ang kuripot nila. You know why they are stingy? Because they believe that they are the ones who were responsible for their wealth. So they don't want to share it to others, especially those who will take advantage of them. Hindi mo naman madadala yun eh. They will testify against you. Churches who, have, who are very rich, who have a lot of money, their savings in the bank will testify against them. What have you done to the poor and to the needy in the society? Whereas your money that you announce to the people is the money of God. Now they are in the bank. 
We do not say to people, now we will collect our tithes to deposit them in the bank. We don't say that way. We are saying, let's collect and use it in the way God will be honored. Payamanan at payabangan ang nangyayari sa kasalakuyang panahon. At nalilimutan natin na ang Panginoon ang nagpala sa atin for a purpose. If you like a verse, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in everything you will have sufficiency and abound in every good works. The tragedy nowadays is with regards to good works, we depend so much on foreign funds. Bless those foreign nations that are blessing us. But what about us? In our budgets, how much is appropriated for the poor, for the indigents? Mabuti pa nga yung couples for Christ, mabuti pa nga yung ibang agency. Pag nawasak ang isang area, meron silang isang bahay na dinodonate, 120,000. Maraming simbahan, wala. Pero they are proud that they are rich. They can afford beautiful sanctuaries with a lot of parkings and air condition. That's not bad. But what makes it bad is when it is done for status sake. So the danger of forgetting the wilderness is we become proud and forgetful. And what is the consequence when people, churches, Christians become forgetful in the context of their blessings? Deuteronomy 8:19 it shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and you go after other gods pero pasto wala kaming other gods pera ang god reputation ang god if you go after other gods serve them and worship them look at the words of Moses i testify against you today you will surely perish Like the nations the Lord makes to perish before you, you shall perish. Why? Because you would not listen to every word that comes from the mouth of God. So many churches now, as I said before, are no longer churches. They have become museums. And that's sad. Did God prepare Job for blessings? Paano pa niya may enjoy ang blessings? Patay na lahat ang anak niya. Matanda na siya. What's the first blessing of Job? He was vindicated. My wrath is kindled against you, against your two friends, said God to Eliphaz, because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. The three friends misjudged Job. But Job kept on saying what is right. And look at how God called Job. My servant Job. My servant Job. My servant Job. My servant Job. 
This is the best title a person can ever have in the Bible. But nowadays, people have titles. Pastor, bishop, archbishop, cardinal, whatever. But the main question is, are we serving God and his cause? Job was upheld. He was accepted. That's blessing number one. What about the others? The Lord gave, the Lord take away, but the Lord can return back double. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job. The Lord increased all that Job had twofold. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. From 7,000 sheep, 14. From 3,000 camels, 6. From 500 yoke of oxen, now 1,000. But what about his children, pastor? They were still dead. Yes, they were. But God gave Job another seven children, seven sons, and another three daughters. And there is even a qualifier. In all the land, no women were found so fair as Job's daughters. And he was so rich that the fathers gave them inheritance among their brothers. Because in the Old Testament, only brothers are given inheritance. But Job was so rich that he had inheritance even for daughters. At ang gaganda nila. Sorry ha. Hindi ka mukha nung isang nanay. Ladies, if you like to be beautiful, begin inside. Begin inside. Our words, our confidence, are just reflection of what is inside. So when, when the wife of Job was saying, curse God and die, will you still hold fast to your integrity? Siguro she had it. The, 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 you know, the, the life of Job is too much for her to sustain. And look at the last statement. After this, Job lived 'Cause so our sufferings when we are going through seem to be endless. But when God's purpose is accomplished, the length of our sufferings is just so short compared to our blessing. Remember Joseph? Joseph was in jail how long? Thirteen years. Thirteen years. But after he became prime minister of Egypt, he still lived more than hundred years. So when we are going through trials and sufferings, let's remember, let's remember these things. That there, in the wilderness, here in my suffering, the Lord is humbling me, so I will learn to trust Him in my heart. Not only in my mind, but in my heart. Not only in my lips, but in my heart. And I will not depend and boast of myself or others. Number two, there in the wilderness, here in my suffering, the Lord is testing me, challenging if I will continue to obey Him or not, despite the challenges. And third, the Lord is preparing me through this suffering, through this wilderness experience, so that when I am blessed, when I am satisfied, with the good that God will give, I will praise Him and not forget Him. The bad news, the Exodus generation. 
20-year-old Abab all perished in the wilderness, including Moses and Aaron, except two guys. Except two guys. You know how many they were when they went out of Egypt? 603,550 men, 20 years old up. Out of the 603,550, only two entered the promised land. Oh, I pray that with many hundred thousands of Christians already in the Philippines, we will not perish in our wildernesses, but we will reach the God-given destination he has set for us. I underline those statements. Sabi ni God, how long shall I bear with this evil generation who are grumbling against me? Sorry, ah. If you call yourself born again or a Christian and you are not thankful, you are not grateful, and you are always grumbling and complaining, where is your Christianity? Is it here only? Is it here? Or is it here? God said, I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they are making against. You know, when they were complaining against Moses, Moses said to them, you are not complaining against me, you are complaining against God. What happened? Your corpses will fall in this wilderness. Verse 32, your corpses will fall in this wilderness. Verse 33, your sons shall be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness. They will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses lie in the wilderness. More than half million of God's people who went out of Egypt who saw all the miracles in Egypt, who ate and tasted the miraculous water and the miraculous drink in the wilderness. All of them died. And that's the same picture nowadays. Many people who have experienced God's miracles, who have seen God's miracles, are now dying spiritually because they have not learned from their wilderness experience. That's the bad news. But praise God, I'm not here to share about the bad news only. We have a good news. Pastor, I can be a good news. The stories in the Old Testament were not given to put down or to raise up the status of people. The stories in the Bible point to another wilderness story where all of us can derive victory from. And this is a familiar story in Matthew 4, verse 1. Look at the same theme. Jesus was led by whom? Jesus was led by the Spirit. It was God who led the sons of Israel into the wilderness. And look at the next phrase. To be tempted by the devil. Testing comes from God, but temptation is from the devil. After fasting, how many days? 
40 days and 40 nights. In the wilderness, the spies were spying 40 days and 40 nights. And Jesus was hungry. So let's apply our lessons in the person of Jesus. What's the first purpose of the wilderness story? That they will humble themselves. Look at what happened. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something that belongs really to him. Rather, he made himself nothing. That's humility. Making himself nothing. How? By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself by being hungry, being dependent on what people will give. He humbled himself by asking the Samaritan woman water. But the ultimate humility was when he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. And look at his prayer, the seventh word. Father, what? I entrust my spirit into your hands. So that's the ultimate humility. When you no longer trust yourself, your abilities and resources around you, but you can put entirely yourself in the hands of God himself. What's the second purpose? Testing. Jesus was tested not once, not twice, but thrice in the wilderness. And what's the goal of testing? To find out whether he will obey what is coming forth from the mouth of God. So round one, the tempter said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Perform. Make things happen. You can do it. You are God. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's Deuteronomy 8. So Jesus would rather obey the word of God than obey what Satan is saying. Round two. The devil took him into the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, perform. For it is written, he will command his angel concerning you, and they will protect you. But Jesus said, I don't have to perform. It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And that's what many Christians are doing nowadays. Lord, if you will do this, I will do this. Why, why do you have to say that to God? Are you testing him? Can you not just trust him? And then the third, Jesus was prepared in the wilderness to trust, obey, and honor his father to the end. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Wow, what the world has to offer. And, this, and he said to Jesus, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. 
This is the ultimate temptation. The response of Jesus, lumarga ka satanas. Lumayo ka. You know, we cannot say that nowadays. Eh. Lalo pag yung mag-o-offer maganda, o guapo, no? o mayaman, sabi mo, sayang. Pero si Jesus, go Satan. Later on, Matthew 16, sabi niya kay Peter, get behind me, Satan. Hindi naman sila si Satan. Pero ang point, ginagamit sila ni Satan para ilayo ka sa Panginoon. Go Satan, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Then the devil left him and behold, eto na, angels came and began to minister to him. You know, madalas, we compromise already before the help of God comes. At sabi mo, eh kasi huli naman si God eh. No, God does not come late. In his time, God makes all things beautiful. Ikaw lang yung adelantado. Look at Jesus. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you have given me to do. So when we are being battered by suffering, by trials, when we are going through the wilderness journey, it is not wise to ask the question, Lord, why? Because many times you will not know. But the better question is, in this situation, Lord, how can I glorify you? How can our family honor you? That's the big question. So what are the results of Jesus' victory in the wilderness and ultimately at the cross we can avail of? Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is so far, unsympathetic, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet he did not give in. He did not compromise, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence. Let the cross, the place of shame, be a symbol of the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Let's not be scared of suffering. Let's not be scared of sacrificing. Because when we are, Satan will use those to put us down. We need to be able to say like David, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be scared of evil. For you are with me. But when you are scared of something, then the enemy will use that against you and bring those things to you always. How many times will you find in the Bible, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, 
Do not be scared. Do not be downhearted. For I am the Lord your God. Do not look around you. For I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And look at the next phrase. We are not perfect, but we have one who was made perfect through the wilderness, through his sufferings. And as a result of that, he and no one else, he became to all those who obey him the source of what kind of salvation? The source of eternal salvation. I can go to him. I can rely upon him because he had been victorious in the wilderness. And I can be victorious in my own wilderness. So let me end with uh, these two promises. One, no temptation, no trial has overtaken you except what is common to man. What you are going through, others are going through also, maybe in varying degree, but what is common among God's people is the next phrase. God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted, be tried, be tested beyond what you can bear. Eh, hindi ko na kaya. Yun ang sinasabi ng takot mo. Pero ang sinasabi ni God, kaya mo. So who will you believe? Your feelings? Na hindi mo na kaya? Or what comes from the word of God? I can do because kaya hindi mo kaya, hindi mo siya kasama. Pero isama mo siya sa buhay mo. Isama mo siya sa wilderness mo. Isama mo siya sa depression mo. Isama mo siya sa helplessness mo. At makikita mo you will be able to bear. Hindi mo naman kinakailangan maging magaling eh. Paul wrote, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never, and that love is the love of God, not you, not yours. So as long as you rely upon the love of God, you will be able not only to bear, but to conquer. Pastor, may verse ba niyan? Romans 8.37 We are more than conquerors because of Him who loved us. Our love fails. The love of people, the love of family members will fail us, disappoint us. But the love of God never will fail us. But pastor, what if in my wilderness setting, in my trial, in my temptation, I fail? Will I perish too like the Exodus generation? What do you think? If you are in Christ, you will never perish. I write this, say John, dear children, to guide you out of sin. But if anyone does sin, for whatever reason, if anyone does sin, we have what? Who? A priest friend. 
a great lawyer, defense lawyer, in the presence of the Father. You know who he is? Jesus Christ, the righteous Jesus. When he served as a sacrifice for our sins, he solved the sin problem for good. He solved the sin problem for good on the cross. Not only for ours, but the whole world. Majority of those who commit suicide commit suicide because while they're going through depression, they are also being overcome by guilt, by condemnation. And we have a message, good message for them. That in Christ, in Christ, even if they are depressed, even if they're going down, they can still be victorious. Psalm 73, verse 26, what does it say? My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Even leaders and pastors and missionaries may fail. God does not. So as long as I look up to him, as, lo as long as I trust him, as long as I obey him and honor him in my life, Satan and his thousands of demons will not be able to put you down. Because you are more than conquerors in Christ. Let us pray. Our God, we thank you that you understand your people so well. How sad we are for hundred thousands of your people in the wilderness who perished. And how sad we are that there are still many who claim born again people today who are languishing in misery, depression, and defeat. And the enemy is rampaging over them. But today, Lord, you have taught us to remember. And you have used that word many times in our text and in your word, to remember and not forget that you are allowing us to go through humbling so that we can put our trust in you. Allowing us to go through testing so that we can know that we can obey you and put our trust in you and that you want us to honor you. And Lord, the beautiful thing, the glorious thing that Satan has been hindering us to achieve and reach will be there given to us to enjoy. Lord, thank you that the good work you have started in our lives because of Jesus, you will complete. That every person here, no matter how weak we are, we will overcome because you, our God, is strong, mighty, awesome in power. And we have been declared already as more than conquerors. Lord, as we remember you, Jesus, 
and what you have done on the cross through the Lord's Supper. Lord, may we not only remember you in our lips and in our minds, may our hearts jump in joy because we will remember that all our sins, the root cause of our miseries, had been solved ultimately by Jesus on the cross. And that when we partake of the wine, we are being reminded that this covenant, unlike the old covenant of the Israelites, will never be abrogated. That this covenant is eternal. But you, O Lord Jesus, in life and death, will never leave us nor forsake us. So thank you, Lord, that we can celebrate the Lord's Supper with this background in mind. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.